this trouble. Peace of Christ be with you. As we settle into this place, just a reminder, I, I promised that I would print out sermons in advance, uh, not for those of you who want to get to brunch, but for those who still have trouble, I know it's hard to hear through this, and more than uh, expected actually depend on reading lips. So on the stool out there, there are 
copies of today's, an approximation of what I will say today. No, no promises there. Thank you for keeping these on throughout the service. It's our duty to do whatever we can to protect those who, for whatever reason, can't be vaccinated or can't be vaccinated yet. So thank you for doing that as an offering to your neighbor. As we settle into this place, let's slow down, feel ourselves fully here, take a few deep breaths that we might open up to the living presence of the Holy Spirit, which is here right here and right now. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Please join me in the call of worship. Oh God, you can call each of us into being. Praise for the gift of this life. You call us to serve, especially in positions of power. We pray for servant hearts and discerning minds. You call us to bless and not threaten those in our care. We turn to Christ who shows the way. And let us sing.
You may be seated. I do want to welcome you here to worship at Westminster. It is so good to be worshiping with you today, especially if you're visiting with us. A special welcome to you. I do invite everyone out to our patio after worship. We have some coffee and tea out there, but especially after worship is a wonderful time to visit with each other, maybe get to know someone new, greet one another as we begin our week together. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. Many of us, O oh God, have been placed in positions of power and authority. We recognize this privilege and do not take it for granted. Some of us have lived life with less control or access to resources or possibility, and we honor the hardship. Whatever our place in life, we have the ability to choose how we will affect the world around us. Forgive us if we've affected proper responsibility or treated those in our care the same other than care. Turn us to Christ and the power of redeeming love. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that that redeeming love of God fills us, surrounds us each and every day. For in Christ we are forgiven. We are set free. We are made new. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we are a sharing congregation. It is important for us to share with each other our joys and our concerns so we can be in prayer together. So if you have a joy or concern to share with us today, please raise your hand. Jane. Jane offers prayers for the people of Louisiana as the hurricane nears. Her daughter lives in New Orleans and has evacuated. Uh, you know that Cammie and I have a lot of family in Louisiana already. Many of you have asked me this morning how they're doing. I really appreciate that. Um, our family is not in New Orleans, so are probably a little safer, though we have a lot of friends in New Orleans. I would say about half have evacuated. Would you agree with me, Cammie? Half have not. And I know many of you, Jane included, with friends and family down there. So many prayers, yes. Roger. Absolutely, Roger. Prayers for a good friend uh, with a brain tumor who is in his last months of life. Amanda. Amen. So Amanda adds to the prayers for people of New Orleans. She has a friend with a child at school at Tulane. And then a joy that Amanda's friend, they've known each other since they were three years old, is in town visiting. And just a joy of a friendship that has lasted. Amen. Others, Bruce. Prayer for a friend who is in Afghanistan at the airport trying to get out and 
just larger prayers for the people of Afghanistan. Uh, many of you have been asking how to be supportive. Uh, Barb Rowe has done a ton of research, and what she has recommended to us, if you would like to support with financial donations, is the IRC in Oakland. That is the local group that is really assisting Afghan refugees. You can offer them a financial donation. If you look them up, they have an Amazon wish, wish list with items that are needed as um, refugees resettle here. Um, and she is definitely available to be a resource for those of you who would like to be of assistance. Others? Yeah, Nikki. Absolutely. So 23-year-old grandson who has a brain tumor and has had some pretty significant medical issues recently as, as well. So prayers for him, prayers for his parents, prayers for you. That is really hard. Yeah. Kathy, did I? Yeah. Yeah. We continue to hold Kathy in our prayers following her father's death, and she was thanking everyone for your support and your cards and your prayers. Yeah, Carol. A joy that uh, this congregation is helping to provide food today, both for Trans Heartline and for Voyager Carmel. And that's actually a good segue for something I wanted to mention. Since the pandemic began, you all have been very generous in providing bag lunches for those who don't have enough food. Uh, for a while, we were collecting on Wednesday mornings and taking them down to Sausalito and distributing them. Now we've been collecting them on Tuesday mornings, and those have been going to the Marin City Senior Center. Our Tuesday bag lunches just collected their 3,000th lunch this past Tuesday to deliver to the senior center there, which is amazing, such a joy. And then in addition, I wanna celebrate all the diapers we have been collecting to go to the um, Canal Alliance also on Tuesday morning. So those continue as well. If you haven't been able to get involved, you're welcome to, but just such a celebration that this congregation has responded with such generosity, so thank you. Let's take just a few moments now of quiet as we hold all of these prayers, and then I will lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people, and we are filled with gratitude. And hear us now as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Love is consistent and unchanging. Love is 
to invite any of our children who are worshiping with us today to come join me right here at the front. I'm trying to arrange my microphone. There we go. First of all, thank you, Andrew and Christopher, for your music. So fun to play with you guys. I guess I should say, thanks for letting me join you. All right, so I'm guessing each of you has, at some point in your life, received a gift, a present. I brought this one, peace, love, and joy. I love the box. The box is so beautiful. But what I'm really curious about is what's inside, right? And sometimes, say maybe when it's your birthday or Christmas, oftentimes presents will start rolling in a little early, right? Like maybe if you have a relative from out of town and they mail it early, and then say if it's Christmas, the present might just be sitting there like under the tree. And oh my gosh, is it not tempting to want to open it? Like, have any of you like taken the present and maybe shaken it? Just like, oh my gosh, what's inside? Oh, I, I do that too. I really want to open it. I know I shouldn't because I should wait till Christmas. Or if it's a birthday gift, I should wait till my birthday. Oh my gosh, but it's so tempting. I really want to open it. So what do you do? You know I shouldn't open I really want to. Oh, so here's what I do. Sometimes I'll ask for help, right? Like I'll, I'll ask maybe Ben or Cammie, someone in my family, I really want to open this. Will you please help me not do it, right? Like, maybe, maybe go put it in another room where I don't know where it is. So then, then the temptation is just removed, right? Or maybe help, help to distract me. Like, help me think about something else instead of how much I really want to open the present. So sometimes I'll call in help if I'm really tempted to, to do something that I know I probably shouldn't. And that really is an example that can work in a lot of different things, right? So I use the example of a present, but, but what if, say, I was tempted to maybe not do a chore that I'm supposed to do, right? Ooh, like I know, I know I'm really supposed to make my bed every morning, but yeah, I'm feeling lazy. I'm just, I really don't want to do it. Oh, do you have an answer to that one, Sol? Yes. No, I, I have to clean my bed. There's a good example, right? 
I have to feed my dog every morning. And I know I should. I know it's good for my dog. My dog will be very hungry if I don't feed it. And yet, uh, I'm just not feeling like it. I'm so tempted to just skip it. Yes. Uh-oh, uh-oh, we're, we're having a difference of opinion up here. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, I mean, so obviously you guys know what I mean, right? When I might be tempted to make a choice that I know isn't the best choice, that I know I shouldn't make, I should make a different choice. So I mentioned, you may be asking my family for help. You know, another thing we can do is ask God for help, right? If there's a choice we're, we're really tempted to make that we know isn't one we should make, how about asking God in a prayer? Oh, help me, God. You know, help me to make the choice that is kind and loving, oh God. Help me to make the choice that I know that you would like me to make. That's another way we can ask for some help. Our family, our friends, but let's not forget also to ask God for help. And that's a little bit of what y'all are going to be talking about in Sunday school today. What it might mean to ask God in prayer for some help, especially times when we know we want to make the right choice. So... Catherine is going to lead you on out to Sunday school. If you're in fifth grade or younger, if you're in sixth grade or older, Jeff here is going to lead you all out to Sunday school, all right? Go now in peace, go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere. The scripture reading is 1 Kings 12, 1 through 20. It's a doozer, so I had to bring up my water to get through it. Okay. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon... Well, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called for him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father in his heavy yoke that he placed on us, and we will serve you. So he said to the people, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men who had attended his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? They answered him, If you be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he disregarded that advice and went to the older men, the older, disregarded the advice of the older men and went to the younger men and consulted them, these men who had grown up with him and now attended him. He said to them, What do you advise that we answer these people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father has put on us? The young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus you should say this to the people who spoke to you. Your father made your yoke heavy, but you must lighten it for us. Thus you should say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to that yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, and I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had said, Come to me again on the third day. The king answered his people harshly. He disregarded the advice of the older men and spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. My father made your yoke very heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. 
So the king had not listened to the people because it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken to Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jehoboam, the son of Nebat. When all Israel saw that king would not listen to them, the people answered the king, What share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, and look now to your own, O David. So Israel went away to their tents. <clears throat> so Rehoboam reigned over the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah. When King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was the taskmaster over the forced labor, all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam then hurriedly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called for him, called him to the assembly and made him king over all of Israel. There was no one who followed the house of David except the tribe of Judah alone. Oh, Pastor Rob, we have a lot of confidence in you today. Because this is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. <laughs> well, that was clear. I don't need to explain anything, do I? We'll get to it. It doesn't take much. It almost never takes much to get one generation talking about another, usually in a pejorative way. And I always sort of chuckle when we get into generational talk or generational uh, ribbing, in part because generational theory is based on very little useful evidence. There's really not much that holds generations together by name, but we love the labels and we love to apply characteristics to certain generations. And invariably, when you get folks talking, it gets reduced to some older generation looking down at a younger generation and how much easier they have it. And then they apply that dreaded cultural label of being soft. Because <laughs> it was much harder when I was your age. And invariably, then, the antidote to a softer, younger generation is what? Tough love. We need tough love for people. This is a refrain that's uh, all over our culture. When I was growing up, it was certainly the prevailing ethic in sports. And so we were all coached this way, particularly boys. I think boys and men are really inculcated in this. And so we are routinely sort of berated and screamed at and so on and so forth. This is just part of the way we were raised. You see, so you see it in sports. You certainly see it in politics, right? They're always trying to out-tough one another. Who can be tougher on this or that? Businesses sometimes pride themselves on how tough it is for their workers or how tough their workers work. You see it, um, gosh, in almost any arena you can imagine. Our criminal justice system is largely based on a tough love ethic, Right? We change things through punishment, and that creates deterrence, and that theoretically changes behavior. Probably the epicenter of tough love is where? It's the family, right? It's the family. When I was looking for some examples, how could I illustrate this? I just did a quick internet search. It took me seconds before I found an example of a family in Florida and there was a picture of a teenage girl who was made by her parents to stand on a street corner with a sign around her neck that said, I sneak boys into the house after hours. She was so ashamed that she just stood there like this. That there's shame on so many levels in that image, in damage on so many levels, and yet, I can probably imagine being at my wit's end, and I've not always been the best parent, so it's easy to just throw them under the bus. It's probably more productive to recognize how deeply that's worked in us, 
and the potential problems it can cause. Now, you can tell by what I've said and my tone where I stand on the issue of tough love. And you might assume that as a pastor, I'm going to come out and oppose it to you on some spiritual truth or as a moral stance. And I do oppose it on spiritual and moral levels. But primarily today, I want to speak to you about it, uh, not because I think it's wrong, but because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And for the purposes of this discussion, let me uh, use uh, not my own definition, but social psychologist uh, Veronica Tate's definition. She describes tough love this way. Actions toward another that are cold, withdrawn, or punitive with the intent to improve behavior. And Tate, in her research, is clear, or, or says the evidence is clear, that it is ineffective. It doesn't actually accomplish the change of behavior someone is seeking. So with respect to spanking, for example, which is sort of the most physical and obvious manifestation of tough love, she cites one study that concludes physical punishment is associated with increased childhood aggression, antisocial behavior, lower intellectual achievement, poorer quality of parent-child relationships, mental health problems such as depression, and diminished moral internalization. So by that last phrase, what she means is if you're trying to pound a lesson into someone, you've actually decreased the chances that that lesson will actually sink in. She continues, harsh punishments model problem solving through threats, violence, and aggression, much like driving a loud motorcycle by a church in our <laughs> These kind of harsh punishments also lead children to avoid the punisher. So two critical things come out of that. One, it teaches a child or whoever, whomever, to solve problems through violence and force. And secondly, it actually disconnects the child from the parent or the person from the person. And what you most want if you're going to help somebody change is a connected relationship, not one that's severed. And she goes on to cite similar evidence, not just about family life, but about those, like those scared straight prison programs that we have for children that are wonderful to show on TV. You scare, you know, prison out of your child. Uh, it's great TV. It's, it's terrible if you actually want to keep people out of prison because the tactics don't work. And it also backfires when applied to the self. Now, you'd be, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. We are in a culture obsessed with self-esteem. Self-confidence is everywhere. We need to be a little tougher on ourselves. I remember I was at a conference one time, and someone said, uh, if you want to see people with high self-esteem, go to prison. Because those people have so much self-esteem, they think the rules don't apply to them. And I thought, yeah, along with the other folks there. <laughs> the problem is that's not real self-esteem. Clinical psychologist Christina Carter says true self-esteem is self-respect and self-compassion even in the face of negative feedback. It doesn't mean you don't respond to negative feedback, that you aren't corrected by instruction, that you don't change your behavior based on what other people say to you, ignoring the rules. No, no, no. It just means that you don't allow that feedback to, sh to um, uh, wound you, to tear you apart, to have you come undone. You can take it in and adjust and stay on your feet. Now. Before I go any further, I can imagine some of you sitting there nodding politely because you're in church, but thinking of all the times in which you've experienced tough love working, right? I mean, I might fall into that category at times. But we should clarify something because you may not actually be thinking of tough love. You might be thinking, for an example, of 
a time when you had to draw some pretty clear lines with someone. I've, I've counseled many a couple through that difficult choice of choosing to cut off their adult child from material support because of addiction. But don't confuse that tough choice for tough love. Yes, that kind of a choice can feel cold, and I guess technically it is withdrawing to a degree, hopefully temporarily, but it's all in an effort to support a healthy connection and a healthy relationship. It's not intended to be punitive. You're not trying to hurt the person. You're trying to drive them into a healthy treatment choice that will change their behavior and better their life. By that, by the definition I gave you earlier, that's not tough love. The opposite of tough love isn't having no boundaries. Boundaries are actually a critical part of real love, I would say, because what boundaries do is they tell people, here's the safe space to be in. And you can, when you're within these bounds, you get to sort of open up and be free. It protects people. So don't hear me saying, you, you know, you can't draw lines. No, 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 no. In fact, it's quite important to draw appropriate boundaries because that's where sort of safety and freedom find their place. But this just isn't psychological or secular research or modern findings. It's ancient wisdom. If you could hear it in that passage that Sharon incredibly, incredibly fought her way through. The rhyming kings, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. At least that's how I say it. I don't, I don't know exactly how it was said. But could you, I don't know if you could follow that story. But Rehoboam has inherited his father's kingdom. His father was King Solomon. And he's trying to figure out how to rule. And you can actually suss out that he's a little unsure about himself and about how to rule. And so he consults advisors, great, looking for feedback. And he has two sets of advisors. And one set says, you know, you should take it a little easier on the people than your father did. You might, get, you might have a better outcome. That's interesting. Then another set of advisors say, no, double down. You've got to show them who you are. And you do that by being tough out of the gate. And so you raise the bar on your toughness, and Rehoboam chooses the latter. So what he says is to the people, now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, I will discipline you with scorpions. This is right after he compares his little finger to let's just say another part of his father's anatomy. Talk about insecurity. Talk about toxic masculinity. Right there. And that kind of tells you what you need to know about tough love. One, it's not loving. And two, it's not tough. Every bully bleeds insecurity. Right? That's behind their behavior. They're scared and they're afraid. They're not scared, of course, scared and afraid. Well done, Rob. They're scared and they're weak. And so they cover that up with aggression and a fake display of confidence and strength. Now, there's nothing wrong with being scared. There's nothing wrong with being weak. I'm both a lot. Where we go wrong is when we overcompensate for our fears and our weaknesses with these brash displays of aggression and pseudo-strength. All of that is rooted in insecurity. It's rooted in insecurity. And we're called for something better. What do the other advisors say? Let's see if I can find the quote here. If you will be a servant to this people, they plead with Rehoboam, and speak good words to them, they'll serve you forever. They'll serve you forever. That's true because if you do that, they know you don't actually have to prove anything through a false show of bravado. Because the only way to lead through tough love is by always escalating the threat, which is what Rehoboam does. I have to escalate it above my father. But I love this advice to speak good words. 
Uh, on my study leave, one of the books I read was Rob Bell's Everything is Spiritual. And one of the things he says is, we have to stop telling bad stories. And in particular, he's speaking of the church, but you could apply it anywhere. Stories based on threat and punishment and fear and intimidation. And the church has been in the business of that for a long time, at least some aspects of the church. And he says, we have to stop telling bad stories. He's essentially saying what they said. Speak good words. It'll work. And you know, I've seen speaking good words in action. When I was in the Christian camping industry, I went with a colleague um, from Indiana, where our camp was, to North Carolina to observe a team-building program at a YMCA camp in the mountains of North Carolina. And while we were there, I took away a lesson that I'll never forget, but it wasn't from the activities they did or the programming or the processing. It actually was from lunch, and it wasn't the food. This was a camp. <clears throat> we were sitting there with the executive director, kind of an older, you know, bigger guy, jovial, loving fellow. And a child was walking across uh, the dining hall, and balancing a bunch of plates on a tray. And you could kind of see it coming, right? And he gets partway, and tray goes over, dishes smash. You hear that loud crash. And then what do you always hear immediately after? That awkward silence, everybody notices, and then a few chuckles, I think, and even probably a couple of those sarcastic claps, right? So it just starts. But before it can get out of the gate with all these other school children there applauding and mocking the kid, director takes off in Usain Bolt's across the room, yelling at the kid, it's okay, 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 it's okay. As if that child's life depended on being told it was no big deal. It was an accident and it's okay and he's okay. Because I think he understood that child's life, especially as a boy maybe, does depend on that. And I'd be willing to bet that kind of treatment shaped something in him. When it would have been so easy to allow the opposite response. I'm addicted to uh, a radio show. It's actually now a podcast. Uh, it's called The Dan Lebitard Show. And it's a, it was ostensibly started as a show about sports, but it only occasionally talks about sports. It's pretty sophomoric and often quite silly, but it also gets pretty serious on certain issues, cultural issues, a lot of talk about race and diversity. Uh, if you're writing it down, just be ready for some words that wouldn't make it into church. Um, uh, and it's become kind of a phenomenon. They were birthed on ESPN, and they've now moved to their own platform. They've started their own media company because they've been wildly successful. Among other things, Lebetard, who's a, a descendant of Cuban refugees, is known for bringing on diverse voices. And so a lot of sports personalities at ESPN who, are, who don't look like me came through that show, and that was their first platform. And he's long valued having a lot of different voices at the table. And one of his mantras, though it's quite simple, is quite profound, and that is when people, particularly a minority people, are hurting, and they're trying to tell you about their hurt, just listen. Just listen. That's all you have to do. Just listen. They say they're hurting. Please listen to them. And it's, it's, he's gotten a lot of attention over the years, so much so that, that Mike Schur, who's produced a lot of television shows you've watched, Parks and Rec, uh, I don't know if he did The Office as well, but a lot of shows that have done quite well. Schur got so obsessed with this, he wrote a big article about them for Slate magazine a couple years ago, trying to put his finger on uh, the magic of it. I mean, here's a guy who pulls together a, a rather ragtag bunch of personalities just, you know, people who started producing the show in their late teens or early 20s. And he's created this community that's sort of half sports commentary, half social commentary, uh, half circus. I'm at three halves. That's okay. I was not a math major. Uh, it feels like a lot of those things. feels a little bit like the water cooler. feels a little bit like community. feels a lot like family. And the only way I can describe their relationship, which has plenty of ribbing in it and joking around, is love, but it's not tough love. It's actually 
soft love, incredibly soft love. Levitard cries on the show, not infrequently, sobs as a man about whatever is happening, whether it's something that's happening in Cuba or with people that are hurting or about his love for his parents and the sacrifices they made for his freedom on and on. And vulnerability is protected there. And because of that, you have all kinds of celebrities and other people in the business who just spend all day arguing about quarterbacks lining up to be on the show. They just want to be a part of it. And so now, as I said, they've left ESPN. They were given $50 million to start their own network. Even though success doesn't seem to even be one of their goals. Their goal is to be with the people they love and have fun. That's it. But they're a wild success. Why? Because love works. All that other stuff we've been taught, not only is it wrong, it doesn't work. That model of leadership basically says, if I make enough safe room for people, more times than not, the best versions of them will come out and be. And when it doesn't work, and when we fail and have to adapt, at least we will have our soul intact for having lived in love rather than out of that false toughness. And there's nothing more important than your soul. Okay, I set you up at the beginning. Old people ragging on young people for being soft. Right? Did you catch that? That's not what the story said. Do you remember the age discrepancy of the advisors? Who was it that came and said, you've got to be tougher on these people? Young people. It was the older advisors who said, you know, why don't you speak good words to them? Show them a little service. They'll love you forever. In my experience is the true elders in our midst, the ones who've matured as they've aged, have almost always gotten a little softer, a little lighter, because they kind of recognize which lines really do need to be drawn and, and boundaries do need to be fixed and when to just let it go and lay back and make room for people. They're the heroes in the story, the elders, in fact. And those elders are in our midst right now, though we dismiss them as a culture and patronize them. But may we learn to look for them and listen to them and honor them and live into our calling to one day become them. Amen.
You may be seated. Well, fall is coming, and that means we have a lot of things happening here at the church. I do invite you to take a look at all of the announcements and plug in in the ways that are most meaningful for you. I want to highlight our in-gathering brunch, which is two weeks from today. It'll be outside. We'll gather. The Congregational Life Commission will provide some of the food, and you are invited to bring a dish to share as well. This is a great opportunity to invite a friend to join you. And we have postcards sitting on the table out in the narthex. If you want to grab a postcard or two as you're leaving and give it to a friend or neighbor and invite them to come along, uh, what a great way to introduce them to Westminster. I have a few things for you that aren't in the bulletin. Um, we always want to make our Sunday morning worship as welcoming and as accessible as we possibly can. So we have been live streaming every service for folks that aren't able to be in the sanctuary or perhaps aren't comfortable yet being in the sanctuary. They're with us on camera. Uh, but that takes a little bit to set up. Uh, you got to get all the computer stuff going and the wires going. Sound complicated? No, it's not. In fact, we have a manual that'll show you how to do it. In fact, guess who's the one who set it up for us today? Our lecture, Sharon Terrell, got our live stream going today. Well done. If I can do it, anybody. <laughs> She's, I don't know if you heard her, she said, if she can do it, anyone can do it. So if that's a way you're perhaps thinking about serving the church, you just have to get here a little early, get it all set up. Um, we would love to put together a little crew to make sure we're continuing to be able to do that. You may have noticed that our bulletin looks different than it usually does today. Um, we are between office administrators right now, so our communications associate, Yana, is going to put this together for the next couple weeks, um, but that's my way of telling you that we're searching for an office administrator. We do have a, an amazing congregation member who's going to help fill in for us for a few weeks, um, but that's not a long-term solution. So if you know of someone outside the congregation who would be interested in working as an office administrator, let us know. I will add our amazing bookkeeper is very ready to retire from that job. If you know of someone outside the congregation who would make a great bookkeeper, let us know. We're searching for two positions right now. Would love, you know, if you have a friend or relative or neighbor who might be interested, let us know, please. One more. Next week is Communion Sunday. We celebrate communion the first Sunday of the month. Uh, we invite you to bring your own communion elements, something to eat, something to drink. It doesn't have to be specific. Um, and then we'll share in the meal together. If you happen to forget, no problem. We have prepackaged elements available, but it's always fun to bring something from home and we'll share together. All right, now I want to invite Kurt Peterson forward. He is the chair of our Outreach Commission. Um, they've planned a special day later in September that he's going to tell us about. I, I think uh, Rob talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, in the past, we have um, we've done some things with Habitat for Humanity, and currently there aren't any building projects going on. There's, a, there's one that's wrapping up in the city, and we hope to have one in Marin, uh, sometime early next year. Uh, but uh, a couple years ago, uh, they sponsor, uh, sponsored a cleanup in, in San Francisco. There the community gardens there. And this time of year, the harvesting is getting done and the gardens are a little bit in disarray. Uh, there's a garden up in uh, Galinas, up by the Civic Center and they're putting on a project, uh, it's a faith-based, it's for faith groups on the 17th, uh, nine to 12. And we have 10 slots allocated to us. We've filled six so far. We're still looking for four uh, people to help out. Uh, if we get more than 10, I'm gonna try and get some more slots for us. But we had a great time two years ago doing that. It's a lot of work, but it's, it's good. Good hard work, good fun, and I invite you to get in touch with me if you're interested, and I can send you the link to sign up online. So thank you very much. Yep. I, want, I want to confirm the date, which may be your question. You just said the 17th. I think it's the 18th, right. and it's, the bulletin says Sunday. It's actually a Saturday. So we're trying to confuse you as much as we can, but the actual date is Saturday, September 18th. From 9 to 12. So. Boom. Excellent. So, 
<laughs> Jim, do you want me to talk about the pedal for I think we're going to do that next week. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. Yes, ma'am. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Look at we're getting we're getting reviews from the back that it's a thing you should do. Excellent. Thank you, Kurt. So get in touch with me. I invite you now to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn, five four three. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God which needs no descriptor, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen. Amen. Amen.